Oh, man, that was scary. I am terrified, and I want to sleep with the lights on. <laughs> well, if we burn the forest outside, that can be your nightlight. <gasps> no! Attention, audience. Please heed this cautionary, scary advisory. Beware this stark broadcast on the dark affair of Drisking's past. Never air what you hear here, or your former fear will reappear. Welcome, audience, you stark, shady ladies and dark, bent gents, to this chilling, fulfilling horror excursion edition of Chemohawk Sessions, Darker Mile Marker, an ungory but unsettling episodic dissection of Q Code Media's best time killing, fear instilling, wine swilling, spine thrilling, blood chilling podcast, Baraska, which aired May 25th. 2020. Welcome to your seventh scary auditory advisory under the threatening triple tree with this Chemohawk Sessions spine tingling, nerve jingling special. Darker mile marker, mile marker seven on this episode's road. Kyle grows starker at this mile marker. Today, we inspect, dissect, and reflect on the seventh episode of Baraska. Mile marker 54. Sam shouts more variations of fuck you to his father than I love you, and is miraculously still alive. Maybe his father is one to threaten, but not perform wet work. He will lay a threat, but will not perform wet work. Or is he? You must remember, Driskin is not a normal town. Sam is not a normal son. The mile markers are marking no goddamn miles, but something far scarier. And the circumstances here are far, far from fucking conventional. We discuss a filthy mattress and a clean conscience. We explore the fragility of Kyle's mental state and his stone jaw's ability to absorb a blow. Neither plot thread nor implied dread is missed, omitted, or otherwise ignored. While this darker mile marker is, by us, explored, ushering you through the litter-laden woods, which Kyle swears to ignite, thus forsaking Smokey the Bear's advice, in search of the next macabre mile marker, your faux ghost host, Falsetto Prophet, and will also come to her powerful lungs co-host, Red Devil. Let's dig in Drisking's dark past with this darker mile marker broadcast. Warned you were. Now, as it is the seventh episode, sip a Seagram's seven and seven cocktail and take a dip in seven deadly F-Star's sins. What is the worst that can befall you? They can only kill you the once. Seven sins, one death. The math is optimistic. Today, we will be snacking on... And sipping... Triple sec. Naturally, as the triple tree is proving integral to the machinery of the plot... And those names, carved into the living tree, are as indelible as the tree itself. I have been adding triple sec to Disarono, not only so I can serve as a passing bartender in that cool commercial where the barkeep spins off the top so suavely, but also because the two liquors melding together cause a combustion of brilliance upon my Irish tongue. I call these concoctions dissing the triple tree. Dis, triple, get it? I'm, dis- <laughs> I'm, I'm, dis- I'm dissing the triple tree. Yeah, I'm, di- I'm disaronoing it. Oh, 
We will be feasting on... Nothing. If the characters don't eat in this episode, neither should we. So it will be a liquid diet. A liquid courage diet, mind you. I have mixed feelings because I love to eat. Now tell the audience about what this episode is and kindly read the audible jacket. Episode 7 of Baraska is called Mile Marker 54. The official episode summary from Wikipedia slash Spotify audible summary jacket reads, Sam searches the woods for his missing friend. The boys make up and discover more mile markers on the road to Baraska. Kimber's name is finally found on the triple tree. My suspicions were validated at this point because remember back in a previous episode when Sam said, if only I had seen what I know now. That's not exactly what he said, but something along those lines. And I said, I bet it's Kimber's name on the triple tree. Now, I had come up with some clever possible titles that I was thinking about incorporating for this episode as I'm always trying to come up with something too quick and clever for belief. So the possible titles I had were Catnaps and Kidnaps, Catnapping and Kidnapping, A Drisking Miracle, Turning Tea into Whiskey, Mile Marker 54, which I was going to call Kyle's Mile Marker. Now, while it is really Kimber's Mile Marker, I was thinking about calling it Kyle's Mile Marker because Kyle rhymes with mile. That's fucking cool, right? And then also, he has such a visceral emotional reaction to mile marker 54 that things will never be the same again. So that's kind of what I was thinking, but I settled on what I settled on and I am damn proud of it. Do you like and approve of the title? Yep, best one yet. Okay, so let's just take a little stock of where we're at. So going back to the very first episode of Baraska, that was such a good episode. So many plot threads were introduced and I think that they are playing out brilliantly. I think that there has not been a wasted episode and I am very enthralled in both the character development, the dialogue, and these various twists that have occurred where you thought that it was going to be Whitney's story. That's what you were thinking for several episodes. And then you find out, no, it's not Whitney's story. It's in fact Kimber's story. I am about at the apex of how much I can control my excitement and enthusiasm for this show. What about you? I can tell in the way that you just described your emotions. I mean, yeah, for somebody who doesn't really, I think it's fair to say, narrative podcast, not my cup of tea because I get distracted so easily. But I have to agree. I mean, it's keeping me enthralled in, again, with those sound effects, man, so good. Really makes it easier for me to picture what's going on. It's funny that you say cup of tea, as in this episode, there is a cup of tea, but it's morphed magically into whiskey. So we start with a wall clock per usual. It's not every single episode, but it is pretty much a running joke at this point. We will begin with the smooth sounds of the very logical mathematical wall clock. So we are in Leah's office. Clean urine. No more cannabis. Yay! That means Sam is either off drugs, not likely, or still getting a clean supply of counterfeit urine, undoubtedly. We are not at the end of the story, Leah says, and Sam confirms. Very telling, because we still have two episodes after this one. And how much possible macabre storytelling can we possibly endure? That's what I want to know. Leah read about the aftermath, I guess in the local papers, but is clueless about the prior day's precipitating events. She knows what Sam did to Kyle, but does she really know? Do you, Leah? Do you really? The heroin and the pills came later in life for Sam. Years after the accident. 
This has already been teased in a few episodes back where Sam was given a certain amount of pain pills for the accident. He didn't even take them all. Why did you do it, Sam, is the question. Why did you beat the ever-loving tar out of your main man, Kyle? We want to know. How did Sam's dad keep him out of prison after this incident? Lots of questions. Lots of question marks in that block of notes. Leah is very curious about this prison avoidance, by the way. The pieces of the puzzle, Sam says, are not even all out of the box. So, of course, the puzzle's not going to fit right, you idiot. I like how he said that. That's a good response, especially for being a young kid. Kyle got out of the car at a stoplight after their big fight. The mom has been sleeping in Whitney's room, we also learn in this exchange. Which, to me, probably not healthy. But not only did she sleep in Whitney's room, but it was a recurring event. She slept in Whitney's room multiple nights in a row. Not healthy. Kimber's phone was dead at this point, and all the messages had been going to voicemail. And Kyle was not responding to Sam after their little bro tiff. Which tells me that Sam, much like at some other stretches of time throughout Baraska, feels alone. Isolated. Vulnerable. And what do we know from all the crime shows that we watch about isolated, vulnerable kids? They tend to get abducted, right? They go missing. Sam felt alone, which is a state he is all too fucking familiar with. Where's mom? Asked Sam. Well, she's still asleep, said Graham. You know, whatever. No big deal. Sam has been going to Kyle's house, who refuses to answer the door in a week. So much like a spurned lover, Sam has been going to his broski's house, Kyle, for an entire week, and Kyle will not give him audience. That he is that angry over what Sam said about Kimber and Kyle's lack of love for her. That was harsh. Yeah, they both. I mean, they both said things they shouldn't have said. Can you relate to that? No, I mean, everything I say, Whoa! even when I make mistakes, I still meant to make the mistake. Very hardcore. To keep me honest, Kimber does not have any family on her father's side of the tree, but not the triple tree. Don't get confused now. This is just Graham's way of telling the son that he's investigating the matter. They are looking at the mother's side of Kimber's family to see if she has any family on the maternal side out in California, where it has been postulated that they are living now. Was Kimber being stalked? It's a fair question. Sam retells the women in white story, plural. And his dad shuts him down. His dad has had it with all of Sam's ravings, like a lunatic. Sam says fucking again to his father. I'm surprised he didn't get nightsticked. Wow, I wish I could have gotten away with that when I was Sam's age. Just fucking this and fucking that and fuck you, dad. You never fucking loved her. I have two half-sisters myself, so maybe he didn't try hard enough to look for them. I don't know, but I could not get away with that. Are you the man of the house, Sam? Says Graham Walker. And he is told in no uncertain terminology to go to work. Sounds familiar. Graham did not sleep for six days after Whitney went missing. So don't tell him that he does not love and care for his daughter, Whitney. And then we finally get a fucking from Graham. He's so mad at his recalcitrant son. The cool father exterior is beginning to crack, I feel, I believe. Well, I think it's because he's hiding things. Sam goes to the house to try Kyle yet again. Parker obstructs his approach. He finally loses it with Parker, much like Graham lost it with Sam. He curses at Parker, then he threatens him, threatens to kick him through a wall. (laughs) Then he grabs Parker and tells him to shut the fuck up. And this is one of the best lines of the episode, if not the best line to Parker from Sam. You are always talking, but you are never saying jack shit. (laughs) I like that line. Finally, Kay and Sam reunite. It's not cool what you said, Sam. They have a brief little moment where they looks like they're going to make up, but then they start fighting again. Round two. And if in the words of Big John McCarthy from the UFC, let's get it up. That's how bros deal with problems, I guess. Girls just talk behind each other's backs or ghost each other. Yes, but Sam truly is the main character of this plot. We are kind of seeing it through his eyes. They finally find some common grounds. 
Now, there's some good emotional dialogue delivered by Kyle here. It's very good. It's very emotive. And great theme music at the most apt of times played as they're getting to the end of their fight. Parker is convinced their bromance is of the homo persuasion, and he keeps slinging jokes their way that suggest that. Parker's new house is far away, and Parker and Kyle's mom is pregnant. All caps, pregnant, underline, bold. More pregnancy. That's very interesting. I can't believe I'm going to be a dad, says Sam. (laughs) And then Kyle's like, oh, that's funny, you fuck. Now, Sam has switched to joints from using the bowl because his dad sometimes drives his car and his dad is hip to the fact that he is smoking the reefer. So that's why he has kind of changed his tactics and delivery device. They head to mile marker number one. What I like about this episode is it moves with fucking purpose. It's just like bing, bam, boom. Yeah, I blinked and then the episode was done. Mile marker one, as you recall, is the boulder, which is the beginning point of the woods. So they're going to start in the woods. They know that there's all these local kids and they're hanging around and they're bullshitting and they're jawboning and they're partying and none of them seem to care about Kimber, says Kyle. And Sam agrees with him. Kyle confirms that people have gone missing for decades. So this has been an ongoing situation. We are going to Baraska, they claim. Kyle believes officially in Baraska now. He was skeptical before. But even the women in white and these seances and all the weird happenings, even he cannot deny what's right in front of him. Maybe it's all real, he finally admits. But do you really believe in skin men and monsters now, Kyle? Hmm. Well, I guess we'll find out. Mile marker two. We're reminded is Ambercot. Sequentially follows mile marker one. It seems like these could just be mile markers. If you recall from episode one, a very, very important episode, it was on the ceiling of the fort, Ambercot Fort, where it was written in, I'll just say Greece because it sounds cool, that... The road to Baraska is mile marker two. So that's what it says in the fort. And then we start wondering how many mile markers are there? Well, Leah wonders the same thing. But the triple tree would not be at mile marker one if Baraska was 50 miles away. This is an astute observation on Kyle's part, because obviously you wouldn't see a mile marker if something was so far away that they could have just not put up a mile marker and perhaps put up a mile marker when you were actually close to your destination, huh? They don't put up 50 miles worth of rest stop notifications 50 miles out from a rest stop. Nope. Emily calls Sam and basically asks him to take her V-Club membership. And Sam, of course, passes as his mind is on other things. Of course, his love is only for K&K, Kyle and Kimber. Poor Emily. She thought she could turn that triangle into a rhombus and she was wrong. But I miss poor Emily and I don't know that we'll hear from her again, but her voice is so soothing. It's the most soothing voice on the show. Sam can now call her ex-Emily, as they are officially over. There is a gross mattress in the woods. Do you want to talk about the gross mattress and how nasty it was? I don't want to think anything about it, but I have seen a lot of gross mattresses in my day, Mm. and I am not a prostitute, by the way. Nope. Just clarification there. That's not where we were going. (laughs) They start noticing, while they're examining Abercot Fort, messages written in pencil on the floor and the walls by what can only be victims. I can't see his face and we never come back. I'll tell you that again for emphasis. It's besides some paneling. Help us, help me, save me. I'll never see my mom again. I hear it scream at night. Different writing from different people because it's in different handwriting. And then there's a pencil tuck between the mattress and the wall. I want to die, but I don't want to become dust. Fuck. These are, yeah, this part, I was like, what in the hell? But they notice some of the messages have in fact been erased, which lends to some sort of an intentionality behind it. And all of the identifying information has been erased as well. There is no Kimber's handwriting there. It is now getting darkish and forest creatures are beginning to stir. 
Sam knows these woods better than Kyle does, obviously, as he's traveled through them at night on multiple occasions because Sam is a masochist. They still have not seen anything even resembling a clearing for hours. The access road is easy to locate, and they refer to it as a landmark. Okay, that's pretty clever. They find an old dining room table that has 2.5 legs still working. This serves as mile marker number three. If they plot the markers, they should be in a straight line, right? Well, logically, you'd think that. Then we get to mile marker four. Well, what's mile marker number four? Well, it wasn't in a straight line. It was on the whole other side of the mountain. Yep. Kyle gets frustrated and in a fit of rage, he hulks out and he screams to the surrounding foliage, I'm going to burn all of you down and go pure pyro. I'm going to burn these woods to the ground. But that's clever, you see, because if they burn the woods, they no longer need flashlights and they can night hike. Oh, night hiking. Sam knows what that's about. It's getting dark though now, so they need to leave. And Kyle did not exercise his promise of setting the woods ablaze. They hear that same identical sound as they heard at the party episodes ago. To me, it sounds kind of like a growling devil fuck beast of sorts. And then I wonder what they wonder. Yeah, I What is know. that shit? Yeah. Ah! They will come back at dusk as they have now found number four. They, I think, need a compass, a flashlight, and a topography map. Fly back into the future, into Leah's office. She's asking Sam, did he find all of the mile markers? And he informs her that they found eight mile markers. This is where the tea comes in. She offers him tea. He prefers whiskey. Jura whiskey, which we have actually had Jura whiskey. I think I want to say that you can get different types of Jura where it has different little emblem type things. Fancy whiskey. She actually offers him some. That was kind of neat. So once again, I just have kind of like question marks. Why is Aaliyah being so nice to Sam? Seems weird. Maybe she's just a nice human, you know, trying to earn his trust, making sure that he's still opening up to her. And of course, you know, once again, obviously she'd like him to have liquor before actually going to drugs, which unbeknownst to her, he's still doing. I know Falsetto would like that in a PO. Back to the eight mile markers. It was the boulder, the treehouse, the table. They found a post. He found that back when he was 12. They find an old ripped up couch, a car that has been completely burned out. And then mile marker seven is in spray paint. It was very, very far from mile marker eight. So again, definitely not a straight line here. And then a mirror that was cracked. That was mile marker 14. So they found eight. They're not in sequential order and they're not in... Geographical order. Yeah. The Jura thing, basically, Sam is just shocked as we are that she's giving whiskey to an underage patient who is on parole. Maybe she figures he's so close to the end and she's just dying to know the story. So she slips him some Jura. Jura, I considered getting for purposes of this episode, but Jura is very expensive. While we are a devoted duo of podcasters, we are not a wealthy duo. Instead, we are finishing the triple sec under the triple tree. As they get to these different mile markers, they're very unsettling. They are uncanny, in fact, as far as, well, they obviously belong to somebody or they're somebody's possessions. Whenever you see a car, especially a burned out car, you just assume something untoward happened to that vehicle. It wasn't, oh, this is a subrogation claim. The engine caught fire. No, it's probably arson or something of the like or somebody trying to destroy evidence. It is a big mountain range, Sam says to Leah, as far as defending why there's so many mile markers and why they're so spread out. It's because it's a massive mountain range. I expect a guy with a banjo 
playing ominous tones. The last mile marker, and it all ties back into the title, is a bed. Mile marker 54. Kind of like Studio 54 in that movie. Ooh, but Studio 54 is so much more fun. With Mike Myers and Nev Campbell. Disco Club. They were not distance markers, and they found it on the ninth day. The bed. These are two, well, these are two observations about the mile markers in general. Is it's established that they're not distance markers, and the bed, mile marker 54, which unravels Kyle, was found on the ninth day. The other thing is the bed appeared out of nowhere, and it seemed to materialize from nothing, because they had already searched that area, and there was no bed, and then suddenly there was a bed. Now, to make things even fucking more terrifying, that bed belongs to Kimber. It belongs to Kimber. No! Kyle knows that it belongs to Kimber, and mile marker 54 is written above the headboard. But what's fucked up about it is not only does Kyle 100% recognize it as Kimber's belonging, it's perfectly made. The bed is sitting there in the woods, perfectly made. Creepy. Kyle then begins to deteriorate and unravel emotionally. It was the straw that broke Kyle's backsack of reality. They realized they were being followed by something on the 10th day. Perhaps it's linked to the creepy sounds that we can hear in our peripheral hearing by way of the great Baraska surround sound system. But we hear it as they hear it. And that's what's so special about this goddamn show. Now, all kidding aside, that would be an awesome scavenger hunt for one who likes to hike and unlock locked mysteries. That would be one way to get me in the woods, finding these seedy artifacts. Now, Red Devil likes to hike. She loves it. Yep. You want to talk a little bit about your hiking reverence and why you devote so much time to your passion project of hiking in the woods, looking for mile markers? Well, I like it because it's peaceful and I just like being in nature. And I especially like it if there's water and or a suspension bridge. Well, speaking of suspension, you're going to need some suspension of that disbelief if we're going to keep going here. Uh, What the fuck is following them? She wants to know. I want to know. Kyle and Sam definitely want to know. Kyle is seeing black figures. Sam is seeing white figures. Do you see Red Devil and Podience? Why eyewitness testimony is so tenuous? Yep. Nobody can see shit and definitely... Definitely nobody can agree on anything. It's a mystery. They see Ramirez and Jefferson, those two deputies, in the clearing. Their cars are parked there. So I'm assuming police issued cars. How else would they recognize them? And then they start up a little chat with them. What's odd about all this is that these two guys ostensibly are in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, and they stumble upon these two deputies. It's like they were expecting them. The sheriff's deputies are very calm, collected. They say, hey, hey, boys. No, you don't have to call me Ramirez. You can just call me Paul. What are you and your little friend doing out here? They're talking about how they're trying to find their friend, Kimber, of course. And then one of them comments, Ah, Kimber DeStaro, hottest redhead in town. To be fair, we don't know the age of these cops, but let's say they're even 25. Well, Kimber would be in her late teens. And just the way they said that to them, all of it is weird. Weird at best. This also will prove to be an important comment, I believe, later. It just sounds like it was so strategically incorporated into this episode. Cleary. You remember Cleary, the yeah, retired, retired sheriff, is there. Why is he there? And retirement does not seem to have stopped him one lick in his investigations. He is helping with surveying, they claim. Now, Sam called off of work so that he could go on this humanitarian research effort with his main man, Kyle. And then Cleary says, that's, that's not the best idea, Sam. You should be more responsible, Sam, if you want to be sheriff one day. Okay, that's interesting. Why does Clary just assume that he would be sheriff simply because his father is? All of them, we learn, have heard the sounds in the woods. Most of the people stay off the mountain at night. Makes me wonder. 
are the sounds intentional to keep people off the mountain or is there some creatures and critters wendigo type critters mm, that are questions. that are keeping people uh, away from the mountain just as a kind of a fringe benefit of being on the mountain skin men or shiny gentlemen could be following them we still wonder and this is probably the most important piece of information in the entire episode the cops say very matter of factly you would know if you met the shiny gentleman he doesn't skulk around he doesn't hide itself so we're gonna cheers ding, for the shiny gentleman even though he didn't make a sound but just hearing him sounds cool hearing his name hearing him mention hearing him talk about but the shiny gentleman doesn't skulk around he doesn't hide himself he's the thing that screams kyle then attacks ramirez he's had enough calls him a cow fucker and then the other sheriff's deputy chimes in damn ramirez he has met your wife <laughs> Now, Ramirez has the other sheriff's deputy hold Kyle down, and he hits him repeatedly, just says payback. Suspicious. Kyle keeps saying he can't hit a kid because he's a minor, etc., but that doesn't let him stand in his way. Then Ramirez responds after punching Kyle in the face. Kid's got a jaw like a fucking stone. But then, oddly, Cleary comments further, just like his daddy. Okay, so that tells me that Cleary would know how well Kyle's father could take a punch to his jaw. Kyle thinks that Sam should not be so trusting with his dad, the sheriff. From our perspective, go either way. We know he cares about Kyle. He really does seem to care about Whitney as well, based on what he's saying. And he has done things to kind of keep Sam out of trouble. Basically kind of look the other way to the pot. Mm. His dad seems pretty cool so far. I think at this point, Kyle is just in a heightened state of paranoia. Nobody's doing enough. It's like a French quote I remember hearing that when you're in pain, it's like nobody else feels enough around you when you're in that mindset. They decide that they will start, go back to the old coal mine of the search at 6 a.m. And they will resume their mission the following day at 6 a.m. Kimber's voicemail is absolutely adorable. If this is Kyle or Sam, your pranks aren't going to work anymore, assholes. (laughs) That's a cute message. Yeah, that is. They will need a raincoat as it will be raining during their 11th day's stroll in the woods. So somebody's checking the weather. That would be me. The devil likes to check the weather. It's funny because so Sam and Kyle are making arrangements to do their, you know, wood search. And Kyle says he'll have to wear his mom's coat as he is a woman. He's not really a woman, but it was just funny in the moment. Scary fucking sounds. Grinding, wailing, screeching. Oh, my. Lions, tigers, bears, anyone? Huh? Huh? We finally get to hear these creepy sounds. But these don't sound like the shiny gentleman's screech. It's more a warm up to a real screech or it's like a bridge screech it's just weird it's different what did it mean sam leah asked him as we're back to the present what did it mean asking about the sound of course death it always means death and then she follows up with a logical rejoinder she asked who is the shiny gentleman it is not a who what do the mile markers mean sam she has to know they are not marking miles but people kimber's bed number 54 Victim number 54. Each mile marker is a victim. All those missing people and all these missing artifacts. Like a serial killer that likes to take, what do they call them? Trophies? But we don't know. We're just speculating. Sam still has more to share. You will regret asking about all of this, Leah. We are not yet at the end. She wants to move up their follow-up appointment to tomorrow, 6 p.m., which is after hours. What rules has this bitch not broken? Keeping after-hours appointments, not reporting everything. She didn't bring him heroin. Overlooking the drug tests and giving him alcohol and telling him it's okay to smoke weed. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Her typical 
at the end. It is Sam and Eric. And there's an interesting exchange this time around. Eric talks about how he hooked up with somebody recently. I'm inclined to think that it's Tara because he's always saying that Tara burnouts girls when coming around. He states that all women are lovely and that Tara is in fact gorgeous. But then of course she is in everybody and she is the girlfriend of a drug dealer and she is a whore. But she came by, or so we think, said she needed Sam for something. And now at this point, it's pretty clear based on what Sam says that he's going to be going back to dealing as that is the only future that he sees for himself. Episode ends. But as the episode is ending, the music builds with sounds of a creepy fucking monster and a whirlwind of discomfort. Ah! A crescendo of creep. Do you have any last minute thoughts or Red Devil asides about this particular episode? I just can't wait till the next one. Like, what the hell is going to happen? I don't know. The last two episodes of the first season, eight and nine, it's a two-parter. Oh. Eight is part one, nine is part two. Pumped. Yes. If you can outlast Drisking's past, historical violence vast, then settle in with our very own ode to Baraska with this darker mile marker broadcast. More gruesome mile marker props await both boys. But are they decoys or real McCoys? As you settle in, we'll make crawl your skin. Stay alive, outrun, outlast for next week's Darker Mile Marker Surreal Reveal Mile Marker 8 on this episode's road, Rural Maps and Urban Legends. I am very proud of that fucking title, by the way. I'm just proud of myself for being able to say it right the first time. Rural. Rural. Will we meet the sublimely shiny gentleman? or greet an untimely mine blast. Podience always fucking remember, roadside sights grow starker, each darker mile marker. Warned, Warned you were! Falsetto and... Red Devil! Out.